Hello there and welcome to the Whole Healed Holy Podcast, a place for conversations of the heart, for exploring healing, divinity, and all things sacred. I'm your host, Patricia Russo. I'm a mystic, muse, and spiritual teacher, guiding women into their hearts with a journey of softening. I'm a published poet, a lover of hearts, and a forever student. Welcome, love, to a sacred pause and hopefully a few tingles, and to a reminder that we are all whole, healed, and holy. I'm so happy you are here. Let's slip into today's episode. I'm excited to share this conversation with listeners today, a conversation about health, specifically health for women, whole health for women, with my guest, Carrie E. Levine. Carrie E. Levine is a certified nurse midwife, an Institute of Functional Medicine certified practitioner, the founder of the Whole Woman Health Clinic, and the author of her new book, Whole Woman Health, A Guide to Creating Wellness for Any Age and Stage. She helps women find wholeness and imperfection, healing them, um, helping them heal and restore their health at any age or stage. In her two decades of innovative healthcare practice, Levine has harnessed science and intuition to connect her patients' physical symptoms and test results with their lifestyle choices and daily practices, resulting in whole, healthy, and happy lives. Carrie, I'm so happy that you're here, that we're finally having this conversation. I first found you on Instagram. I think we're meeting through mutual dynamos. And then the book arrived and I actually have the physical book and it has really become, I'm making my way through it. And it's really become this beautiful handbook um, that I've added to my collection of really beautiful resources that I can have handy, but it's Mm -hmm. nice to have you here in the flesh as I'm seeing you and the listeners are hearing you. And I'm just so grateful to have you here today to talk about what whole health means for women. So Mm -hmm. thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Can we begin with what you mean by whole health? And I'd love to go right into the ways that whole health are different, unique, or important for women specifically. And then as an aside, if this isn't too much, I'd love to better understand what functional medicine is, because the book begins with this idea that functional medicine is the medicine of why, as opposed to the medicine of what. And I know that's a lot. I want to kind of start with this idea of whole health, how your approach is very unique and specific to women, which I love. And that's Mm -hmm. really most of my audience of listeners. And then this idea of what just what functional medicine is just to give kind of give us a broad strokes before we get into the specifics of the conversation. Absolutely. I think I chose the woman whole woman health because of the integration between mind body and spirit and in my clinical practice it's not been possible to separate those aspects of our humanity as much as the conventional medical model sometimes asks us to do so through years of caring for women, it is really obvious that we can't separate 
what's happening at home from what's happening in our heart, from what's happening in our body. And I wanted to set up a framework in which I didn't have to, and that women would enter with the assumption that all parts of her matter. You know, it's not, oh, and by the way, this other thing is going on. I think about a conversation I had with a woman this week, a potential new patient, and she was talking about her work being manual labor and how she's had aches and pains and she's in her midlife and she's had aches and pains in the past and saw the rheumatologist and saw the endocrinologist, et cetera, et cetera. And she's wondering how much her hormones might have to do with the discomfort that she's feeling in her body. And we're like 10 minutes into this conversation. And she says, oh, and by the way, a number of years ago, one of my children decided to take their own life. (laughs) And I thought to myself, oh, and by the way, (laughs) right? And it's like, how can that not be an aspect of what is going on in her body? Because we are one, we are whole, everything is connected to everything. And to pretend it's any other way in my mind is a real disservice. Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole aspect came from. And functional medicine is a systems biology approach to health. And what that means is that it looks at the interconnectedness of systems. And so in that way, you know, and I don't say this out loud in very many spaces, but in that way, it is an extraordinarily feminine model where everything is is connected to everything. That's sort of like one of the memes of functional medicine is everything is connected to everything, mm-hmm. which is a really feminine way to approach health and wellness. So instead of trying to diagnose and name a particular disease process, as you alluded to, I look to try and answer the question, why? Mm -hmm. For example, people aren't born with irritable bowel. Something happened along the way to trigger that symptom presentation. And if I can understand what changed physiologically, which can be influenced by our head and our heart, not to mention what we eat and stress and a whole host of other things, exposure to bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. If I can figure out the why, then I can figure out how to help someone restore the imbalance that was created, which means ultimately a resolution of symptoms as opposed to a medication, which just sort of silences or mutes symptoms, but doesn't change the underlying physiology that's driving the symptoms. Mm -hmm. So I love that. It's sort of referred to as the medicine of why as opposed to the medicine of what. It's also referred to as root cause medicine. What again is driving the process of the symptoms? Can I identify what is imbalanced, can balance be restored, and is symptom resolution possible? Mm -hmm. So functional medicine also nods to mind, body, spirit. It's at the center of the matrix, which is the sort of diagram or 
framework that functional medicine practitioners use to organize symptoms and try and make sense of what might be going on. And it also bows to people's stories, sort of the timeline of their life and when symptoms occurred and when major stressors occurred and when major medical interventions occurred that might have contributed to what happened now. And then also uses primarily lifestyle modification and nutrition for course correction. What I also love about it is that it's not Mm anti-medicine because medicine in my mind has time and place. And it's really for each of us to determine how we want to care for ourselves. Some women will come to the clinic and say, I have depression. I want an antidepressant. And other women will come to the clinic and say, I have depression. I don't want an antidepressant. And so my job is to educate and honor women as to here's the continuum of options as I understand them. How do you want to care for your body? What is aligned with your values and belief systems? Mm-hmm. I love this too, this what versus why personally, but I I feel like the the what feels more universal to me and the why is really indicative of something really unique. Mm-hmm. And just in my most recent kind of really big health issues, whenever I've been a patient and I've asked, well, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. The, would you say like the conventional doctors, they don't want to have any discussion about a possible why it just is literally I've been told it's not, it doesn't matter why it's happening or I don't know why it's happening or let's not talk about that, but mm-hmm. let's talk about what, let's focus on what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, wow, yeah. It's tricky, right? I mean, why, why invokes the mystery? Because it's not always an answerable question. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really uncomfortable for both, I think, practitioners and people right. to ask why and not have an answer. is super duper duper uncomfortable. And I've been on all sides of that question, you know, wanting to understand why in a variety of ways in my own life and not had answers. And it is uncomfortable. Yeah. And then the other thing too, I think about is the longer I practice, the more I feel like I don't really know anything, you know, What we, and I'm using air quotes for listeners who can't see me, what we think we know, I think is just like the tiniest, tiniest, most minuscule amount of information that there is to know. So even while I talk about a why with someone, I am really aware that in two years, that could be hogwash. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can get lost in being curious about the whys mm. for me in particular. And, and we'll get to this in, I hope, in a future question that I have for today around the thyroid, because you addressed this the idea of hormones and thyroid and mood, which I want to talk about. But with my thyroid issue, I felt like I had lived a pretty healthy life. And so the curiosity about the why for me is like, it's a real curiosity. And I guess it would be that you'd have to be comfortable with the mystery with just exploring the mystery of it. It's not black and white. It's not exact science. And conventional medicine is 
really finds its footing and its foundation and its confidence in things that really can be proved or things that are an exact science or as much of an exact science as they can be. And this is why I love to have conversations with those of you that are really in a place of going deeper than that. Mm. And speaking of that, I consider these things that we've touched on already, like emotions and spirituality, but I consider these things subtle body things. That's just like yoga terminology. But where do subtle body things like intuition and spirituality and emotions fit into your idea of practice of whole health? You've mentioned it's like, it's really the why. Mm -hmm. And these things kind of, I think, are akin to the why rather than the what. And you specifically mentioned fear as having its own bearing on our health in your book mm-hmm. and maybe other emotions. I haven't gotten through the whole book, but I know there's a part of, there's like a specific quote that says that fear has its own bearing on our health. So, yeah, I would imagine that the subtle body parts, intuition, spirituality, emotions fit into this idea of whole health because they make up the why. Mm-hmm. Part of it. For sure. I mean, other parts of why can be exposure to environmental toxins or body manifestations of trauma or food poisoning or parasites or just natural body processes like hormone shifting because of all of the reasons hormones shift. But I was really intentional with this book in wanting to acknowledge both science and intuition. And because I've seen in my own lifetime, the pendulum swing between extremes of pure science, and then in an attempt to empower women, pure intuition. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that land women in some serious trouble, trouble that could have quote unquote been avoided. I mean, it's each of our journeys to follow whatever path we choose. And so there's no criticism or judgment. And I feel like science got kind of a bad rap. And when I write about this in the book, right, like science got sort of pegged as patriarchal and masculine and disempowering and things that it still largely is than the healthcare system. I mean, I just can't even believe some of the things people are still told in conventional visits. I just am still so blown away by that. And, but 100% intuition isn't always accurate either. Right. And I think about the women who, who ignored a symptom, right, in their body because they just felt like I would know if something was wrong. How many times have I heard that? I would know. Mm -hmm. And their reticence to seek help because of fear of entering into the conventional model for all kinds of real and justified reasons. Mm -hmm. And so to learn that they had a tumor the size of a grapefruit or a mass the size of a golf ball or whatever the situation is or was to be able to find some marriage of the two, right? Which I think is probably, and I'm not as deeply steeped in polarity in any way, shape or form. I'm just sort of like 
newly becoming aware of that kind of language, right? But it's it's not either or. It's and but. Right. Intuition has its value and so does science too, right? It's not for nothing, but it's also not 100%. Right. And so I always land with women. I mean, and this is my practice model, which is just like your body, your choice, 100% all the time. No questions asked as if it even needs to be said. I say that so many times a day right? to just try and reinforce our own sovereignty over our own bodies. Right. And, you know, I want to share clinically what I've learned or what I've observed, because I think there's some value in that. There's value in pattern recognition. There's value in not necessarily reinventing a wheel. Sometimes there's value in medicine for the right person, the right time and the right circumstances. And I am so sad when women dismiss those options as well, because of reticence, again, for all kinds of good reasons for entering the system. Mm -hmm. I feel super lucky to be able to practice the way that I do. And I created it this way intentionally. I see a lot of women who've had a lot of trauma within the conventional model. And they come here and they're like, this is so relaxing. This is so such a healing space. This is so right. It's just like even the physical environment, which is surrounded by trees and it's completely quiet and there's no fluorescent lighting and I'm not wearing white coat and I don't have a stethoscope around my, then I have met the dog coming in, you know, and it's just like just this super intentional, my hope is calm and healing environment. And that in and of itself, let alone talking for an hour and listening and being heard, right? I mean, those two experiences in and of themselves with someone who practices straddling worlds can be healing in and of itself. I don't want to assume when you say intuition, what does intuition mean for you? Any individuals knowing or sense of what is right for them. Okay. So it's just an inner knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An inner knowing. Okay. And all the that information comes, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because yeah, I have some personal experience with that, with witnessing my sister and her healing journey with cancer and the fear of the diagnosis and also just a an inner sort of a belief and an inner knowing of knowing what's best for her and not wanting to go to the conventional medicine, not wanting to trust the conventional medicine route. Mm-hmm. Um, and woof, it really does. I feel like that was the teacher for all of us. It needs to be a balance of both. It can't be one or the other necessarily. And, and I guess that I wouldn't say that's across the board, but certainly with big things. And it's interesting that you cite these patients that said, I would know, I would have this knowing, I would have this feeling, and then later find out actually that their bodies are harboring something significant that they didn't have a sense of. And I think it's important to hear that. I think it's important for women to hear that because I think that happens all the time. And that certainly happened to me. I didn't feel like I didn't have a sense of what was happening to me in both situations with breast cancer and with my thyroid. You just don't have a sense And maybe it's because we're not really tapped in as deeply as we could be. We could have another conversation about that, right? Like really tuning into your intuition and being really so deeply connected to it that you can feel the nuance of it or the depth of it. And someone listening might argue that there are some deeper ways to be in touch with your intuition. 
for sure. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like, I think we have to be a little bit careful with that in terms of blaming ourselves. Like, sure. if only I was more deeply connected to myself, if only I, right. you know, had fostered the whatever, 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 mm-hmm. then I would have known. And maybe we were not to know. Right. Maybe we were to not know. Right. Maybe it's not that we weren't deeply connected. Maybe we were to not know, right? This And this gets into the whole mystery of it all. And I think a lot of women, particularly who consider themselves well and consider themselves to be living healthy lives, it's particularly challenging. <laughs> I can't even say particularly. It's challenging to be like, I already wasn't eating ho-hos, you know, or like whatever the thing was that they didn't do in the hopes of health. And, you know, I think we have to be careful to not be too hard on ourselves and that sometimes there is mystery and part of the language, but just like sometimes shit just happens and we don't get to know why. We don't have to put ourselves through paces because we failed because we got sick and no no yeah so for sure it's it's so subtle I feel like tending birth is really largely what taught me that was I tended births as a birth assistant in Cleveland Ohio a really inner city kind of place where any and all women walked through right and so women you know I think about like the 15 year old Black, impoverished, cigarette smoking girl would walk through the doors and pop her baby out, no problem. And I know, and really in that culture at that time, what I observed was oftentimes they would hand the baby to their mom and their mom would raise the baby and they would go back to school. And culturally, that was how it worked. Like, the girls still graduated high school, even though they had babies, because it was the grandmas raising the babies. And that just worked generationally. And then I think about, you know, this tall Amazonian woman who had a PhD, who came in and had a really, really, really hard labor, you know, and she was married and had a supportive partner and took classes and ate well and was care of her body had a really, really hard labor. And you can't explain why those situations were what they were, right? One might easily make assumptions that you would expect the opposite of what each of those women experienced. But there's a wild card with birth and you don't know and you don't get to control what it's going to be. And so I think birth taught me a lot. about the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. This is potentially where the spiritual aspect or the faith aspect kind of (laughs) lives. And, and we, I've had another conversation, another episode around that, where it's like the mystery of the why sometimes lives in that place in the spiritual aspect of it, um, the the greater knowing. What are some of your very favorite daily practices that support a healthier woman? And are there And like, I would love just to have an idea of of the full scope, but if there are any specific spiritual practices, like if we can just touch on that, that would be great too. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you Mm -hmm. recommend or that you personally practice. Mm -hmm. 
I think any way in which we can be quiet with ourselves is so crucial. And it doesn't matter what form that takes to me. It doesn't matter if it's praying or going to a place of worship or practicing yoga or drawing oracle cards or walking in the woods or it doesn't matter. But finding some moment in the day for quiet I'm biased in that I think a connection to the natural world is so helpful, mm-hmm. but I don't think that that's true for everybody. Okay. That's true for me. So for me, living in a place of beauty and spending as much time as I can outside is crucial. Okay. Yeah. In your book, you say, because we are biochemically unique the right way to eat is different for each one of us. And you also share that the way that we eat is so important. I'd love to spend some time now, just like a little bit of time on nutrition. And within this idea of each woman finding her own way based on her body, are there some universal or basic things that every woman should know regarding nutrition and whole health? Eat vegetables. Lots and lots and lots of vegetables. And I (laughs) say that verbatim in the clinic, like if we never meet again and you walk away with one pearl, let it be eat vegetables. Vegetables contain phytonutrients, which communicate to our cells multiple times a day, right? Like multiple times a day, we send messages to our cells. We do that with our thoughts every moment. (laughs) And we do that in even more significant ways, not more significant, but who knows, right? I mean, insignificant ways, I will say every time we put a fork in our mouth. And so it's sometimes I think helpful to ask ourselves, what kind of messages are we sending to ourselves? Cells, are we sending messages of inflammation? Are we sending messages of anti-inflammation? Are we comfortable with the message that we're sending? Can we send a better one? Is there a better choice we can make and want to make? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. And that's okay. We are such extraordinarily resilient beings that it doesn't require perfection to be well, right? And so not anti anything except for maybe artificial sweeteners, which is interesting. I did have someone call me out on that. Like, why would you shame people about the use of that? And I appreciate that awareness. My concern is that artificial sweeteners have been documented to cause cancer in laboratory animals. And so it's really ingesting a non-food. Right. So that seems like I tell women, I would rather have you eat white cane sugar than use a packet of sweet and low. Honey and maple syrup would be even better choices. But if your choice is sweet and low or sugar, I would say go for the sugar. Mm -hmm. And do I think sugar is hugely problematic for our health? I do. Do I consume it? I do. Uh It is pleasure. 
And I don't know what circumstances would have to occur in my own life to say I'm never going to have sugar again. Um, I don't think it's great for anybody. Right. So eating vegetables, I think, is huge. And then to the extent that anyone is able to minimize or eliminate processed food from their diet is it's a lot. And even if even if that's not where someone lives now, making that change has such profound implications on health and longevity, such profound implications in functional medicine. We also refer to it as food first medicine. Okay. And when you say vegetables, are you meaning raw vegetables or like it's it's all of them? any of them, the more, the better and an array and not the same ones every day, right? Like, so eating the same thing every day, even if it's good for us becomes problematic. Mm-hmm. If all you ever eat are blueberries, then you never get what an apple has to offer. Mm-hmm. And apples have a lot to offer. Right. So it's important to eat an array of food. Okay. This is sort of a side note, one thing that I know to be true about the difference between, and maybe this is all over the world, but the difference between fruit and vegetables, just produce in general in the US versus in Europe. Does this concern you, the direction of the quality of these vegetables that we're supposed to be eating to maintain health and longevity, the quality of the vegetables in the US in particular, and maybe I'm just being naive, but I feel like this is one of my favorite things about being in France is that I feel like the quality and really the care to -hmm. get the bio, as they call them here, fruits and vegetables, and to make sure that these fruits and vegetables are really healthy. Um, It's just a little bit more care, I feel like, than what's happening in the US. Is it something to be concerned about? Or right now, is it just that we can go anywhere to source these fruits and vegetables that we should be eating a lot of each day? It's such a beautiful question. And it it sort of reveals the bias that I live with, because I live in a place where I have access to a lot of small scale farming. And so our community is precious in that way, you know, that I can get my fall CSA clear through December and know that those vegetables are organically grown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's a privilege for sure. And I think you want to do the best you can do. You know, what I tell people is buy the most expensive food you can afford in terms of not just because it's expensive, right? But if you can afford to buy organic, buy organic. If you can afford to buy fresh, buy fresh. If you can afford to buy frozen, buy frozen. If you can use food stamps at the local co-op, do that. And so we have to take into consideration, right, means and access. And it is a huge concern in this country, huge, you know, because not enough people have the financial resources, let alone the access to beautiful food that's grown in healthy soil. Right. So it is, it's huge. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'd love to focus a bit on what you cover in chapter six regarding hormones and thyroid and mood. 
as I'm selfishly navigating this after my thyroid cancer surgery, I never really knew before this happened to me how important the function of the thyroid is. Like when they first told me, it's your thyroid, I thought, where the heck is my thyroid and what does my thyroid do? And then I found out how important it is. It's literally the computer chip to this entire operating system. Are there unique functions of the thyroid which pertain to women? This is kind of like my personal selfish question. And what are some of the whys of hormones and thyroid and mood challenges? So I would imagine this is like the lens that you look through with the whole health for women and functional medicine. And it's kind of coming full circle from how we started this conversation because being a vegetarian, moving my body, happy most of the time, healthy, fit woman in her early 50s, and then having a diagnosis of thankfully a low grade cancer in my thyroid was a huge surprise to me. And of course, we determined the what very quickly. And then it was, why? Why did this happen? Because I wanted to be able to say that I wouldn't do that thing again. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, oftentimes the why is, is important because we want to make sure that we're staying away from pollution or we're eating the right thing or we're doing whatever it is we're supposed to be doing. Mm. And for me, I don't have a why to this situation and it doesn't make any sense. So there's a great mystery and a lot of curiosity with it. But mm. I love that you focus a part of your book on these three things that I think are very important to women, hormones, mood, I know now that the thyroid is the kind of the thing that is in charge of these things, hormones and mood, two of many things. But yeah, I would really love for you to just touch on this idea of thyroid and mood and hormones and how these things are unique for women. Every man has a thyroid, every man has hormones, and every man has moods. So I know this, we're not saying we're excluding men from this, but because you're focused on whole health for women. And because most of my listeners are women, I would really love just selfishly to have you share the ways in which the thyroid hormones and mood is unique to women and, mm -hmm. and some of the whys that you see. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a big question. So <laughs> yes. I'm going to start rambling. Feel free to redirect me and or okay. ask me to bring it to a close because there's a lot there's yeah. a lot to say. I don't know that I fully appreciated thyroid as the sentinel gland, or as you refer to as like command central for many of our metabolic processes until I went to a conference a number of years ago and listened to someone speak. It was actually a blood chemistry conference. And I had always been a little bit reticent to start women on thyroid medication because so many women that I saw and see are afraid to start thyroid medication because they think if they start it, they have to be on it forever and they don't want medication and they want to do what they can with their lifestyle and their nutrition to avoid medication, or they at least want to exhaust their resources around it to try and avoid medication. And what I learned that number of years ago was that there are thyroid receptors in nearly every cell of our body. Wow. And, right? Wow. And so if you take someone who's not feeling well and not address that 
physiologic reality, it's going to be really hard for them to feel better. And changing our lifestyle, fine-tuning it, or dealing with our nutrition takes a lot of energy. It's really hard for a woman to change her life when she's tired and not feeling well. In so many ways, it's so much easier to pop a pill and like move on, right? right? And so it's sort of the tragedy in the way in which life is tragic where the thing that would most potentially help someone improve their health is the hardest thing for them to do because they don't feel well. Mm -hmm. So when I learned that there are thyroid receptors in nearly every cell in the body, and this practitioner who was teaching was like, just get them going on medication so that they can do the day and then they can begin to address some Mm -hmm. of the why. Mm -hmm. And that changed my practice. You know, I'm speaking to you now exactly as I speak to women in the clinic, like here's an option. Like I hear your hesitation. I respect it. And, you know, this is where my practice is so different. It's not like, here's your medication. You'll be on it for life. Have a good year. Good luck. I hope it all goes well. Right. I'm just like, here's a step in a series of steps can we support you, right? Using medication as a life ring to get through your day or whatever the situation is so that we can do some of the other work that needs to be done. Even if it's like taking a really extensive supplement regimen, you can't ask someone who's not thinking clearly to take a really complicated supplement regimen and think that that's not going to create stress in their life. Like it is for most women. So That little pearl changed my practice. And the other, I think, pearl that's really important for women to understand is the HPATG axis, which I write about in the book, which is a fancy anacronym for the hypothalamus pituitary, which are two parts of the brain, thyroid, which is in the neck, adrenals, which are small glands on top of the kidneys, that primarily produce stress hormones like cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and then secondarily produce sex hormones and gonads, gonads being sort of sex organs, which in women are the ovaries. And so these organs, the thyroid, adrenals, and ovaries are all on the same axis. So when one of those organs function starts to change, there's an increased burden on the system. And I've never seen any data to support this, but one of the reasons I think that there's so much hypothyroidism in peri and menopausal women is because the ovarian hormones start to slow down. That's the natural order of things. That's what's supposed to happen. There's nothing wrong that that happens. But if the circuit, if the loop hasn't been tended carefully, which more often than not, it's the adrenals and stress management that have not been tended lovingly, then you're going to see disruptions in any organ's function that's part of the axis. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it's bigger than I thought. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's going back to the beginning of the conversation around the feminine piece around the systems mm-hmm. and it's a full it's everything is connected mm-hmm. 
And yeah. I'm also sitting with it for a moment, just as, as I'm applying it to myself, because I, I have no thyroid now. I like what you said about medication, because I was very resistant to the medication, which I had to start taking the day after my surgery, like the morning, ne- the next morning. And in France, you don't have a naturopath that comes and talks about the alternatives or the various different ways in which you can do it. It's just, here is the dose that we're giving you today. And here is the pill that you're going to be taking for the rest of your life. Take this Mm -hmm. pill. There was hesitation for me and I didn't take it. And then the surgeon came in and said, you haven't taken it. Why? And I said, well, I want to have a discussion. And he said, there is no discussion. Mm -hmm. And That was a big grief for me because before this, I literally was to take an aspirin or any kind of pain medication was a big deal, like just no medication for me. And so to go from that to being medicated every day for the rest of your life. So I I definitely can resonate with what you shared at the beginning of this answer and then love hearing that the consensus is, as I understand what you said, is that this is really a beautiful first step to regulate the system and then moving from there. And that's really where I am. And then, yeah, I want to go back and listen to that answer again, or just so that I can understand fully how it, everything is connected from really literally the crown of us to the toes of us. <laughs> um, and the full system is really connected and regulated in this way. I think another thing I want to just throw in there just, and this would be like for the container of this conversation, maybe the last sort of point to make, which is that the majority of hypothyroidism in women is actually undiagnosed gluten and dairy sensitivity. Wow. And there is a huge percentage of women who are hypothyroid, who have autoimmune thyroid. And that autoimmune thyroid is essentially generally often undiagnosed gluten and dairy sensitivity. It's so So, strange to me that we're having all of a sudden, and maybe I've just been living under a rock, but the sensitivity to gluten and dairy feels so like in the last, I don't know, three or four decades, maybe certainly not when you and I were younger. I think we're, I don't know if you're the same age as me, but um, I'm imagining that that's because the gluten and the dairy has changed greatly since we were children. I don't know. Or has it, or has the human body changed? So has everything else, right? So has soil quality. So has air quality. So has the consumption of processed food. So has stress. So has medication administration. And then, so I really work to not vilify food. Yeah. Okay. And, but Uh right. Like, particularly in this country. And I do think that there is some variability worldwide. I take care of plenty of women who say, I went to Europe and I ate whatever I wanted and I felt fine. I hear that all the time. And I talk about all of the variables that go into creating food sensitivities and that it's not just the food in isolation. It's the way that that food interacts with our gut microbiome within the context of our system as a whole, right? Genetic predisposition, vitamin D exposure, movement, like all, that's what I mean when I say the longer I practice, the less I feel like I understand, you know, it's like, who knows how any of this stuff comes together in any one individual's body. I feel like the best we can do 
I love the spider web metaphor, right? Which is we are a complex web of physiologic interactions. And all we can do, in my opinion, is find a thread and give a gentle tug and see if it changes the shape of the web in a way that leaves people feeling better, not worse. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I have like two more questions, but we're almost out of time. And I want to be mindful because Carrie and I are, we're being really sneaky because we're (laughs) we're having this conversation on a Sunday and she and I never work on Sundays. I want to be extra careful with your time. And the questions are really taking us in a completely different direction. And I would love to have a second episode interview with you about this topic of menopause, because I think it is a big enough topic to yeah. have a whole episode about, but the last couple of questions were about menopause, like what's happening in the body during menopause. And is there anything positive about menopause because it gets such a bad name? Um, <laughs> and, and really um, selfishly, again, that's the other thing that really sent my system into a completely different direction because I was nowhere near starting my menopause. I've been such a late bloomer fully around in every aspect of my life. So it doesn't surprise me that my menopause was going to come late, but then remove the thyroid and that now everything is all out of whack. So yeah, I would love to have you back to talk about menopause. If we can sync our schedules again, maybe another Sunday would be so delicious. But just to wrap up this episode, I always ask every guest these three questions. And the first question is, which do you relate to the most? It's kind of a funny question because you have this word whole in everything that you do. But my mantra is, I am whole, I am healed, I am holy. And so which of these questions do you relate to the most whole, healed, or holy, and why? It's such a funny question. And I want to answer the question, but it's not the question you asked. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Answer, answer. Yeah, Like the word that captivates my attention the most, the one that I'm drawn to the most, the one that I find most intriguing, intriguing is probably the word holy. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because it's the word that I've spent the least time with in my mm-hmm. own life, right? And for me, it feels like sort of the next frontier of my own understanding, like wholeness is really you know, part of my everyday language, literally, right? And healed has been my work since I was embarrassingly young age. And Uh so holy is the word that intrigues me and it captivates my intention. And then there's almost like a whole, I'm assembling a list of words that I feel like I understand, but don't have words for. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. I feel like this will be part of our next chapter, maybe, because that's my favorite in my work. A book that you love and or have gifted the most. Mm. So those are different. I would say a book that I've loved is a book called Eye of the Heart. Have you read this book? No. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so it's written by a woman named Cynthia Borgo, and she is, I believe, French. And she spent summers on an island off the coast of Maine, where I live, an island named Eagle Island in deep spiritual practice. And the book that I love of hers is called Eye of the Heart. And it's about seeing with the heart. 
as sort of the seeing the imaginal realm. And so it's as someone who has functioned largely from my head, despite my nature, but it has served me well and allows me to have one foot in science and one foot in spirit. It's time at this time in my life to spend more time in spirit. So I love her book. And the book that I've gifted probably the most is a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow by a man named Francis Weller. And it is the most exquisite book on grief and different kinds of grief that we experience as humans and a look at our culture and how terrible American culture does, what a terrible job American culture does with grief and loss. And if you look across the world, it is handled in such different ways that I think make it holier. And I don't even know what I mean when I say that, but I bet you do and language for it. It's so true. I mean, if I share just a few rituals with you that I've learned from the sisters that I sit with from various faiths, you would start crying because it's so true, Carrie. It's sort of devastating how, and I, I don't know if that's, you know, that we're a Christian based culture and that there just hasn't been the attention that maybe other faiths kind of give it. I'm not sure what the why is, um, but it just is. And I definitely will put that book on my list to read and the eye of the heart. Gosh, I love this, the name of this book and the pretense or the, pre, the, the, what is the word? I'm forgetting the yes. word, but the, yeah. yeah, I love the idea of the book because uh, Megan Watterson has written uh, Mary Magdalene Revealed, which is about the Mary Magdalene gospel. And she calls the, this, the eye of the heart is really the essence of the gospel. And so, so Cynthia, yeah, Cynthia Borgo wrote another book called The Meaning of Mary Magdalene, which I haven't ah, read. Okay. But it was, I know, so there's total Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Yeah. And the grief thing too is interesting I know we're wrapping up, but, and, but I just wanted to say when I was in my twenties, I had the opportunity to travel to Nepal. And I remember sitting on the banks of a river, watching the funeral pyres on the other side of the river and watching human bodies be cremated and their ashes being tossed into the same river where on the other side, women were doing laundry and bathing. And it was so integrated. There was such an integration of death and dying in the physical body that so doesn't exist in this culture. And it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. And I love that you had that witnessing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I'm definitely going to read this book. It sounds really interesting and just perfect for me. A quote or mantra that you love or that guides you. Mm. So I think a lot about a Newtonian principle of physics that says energy can be neither created nor destroyed. And to me, that, I mean, we didn't touch on this, but for folks who don't know this, I have a daughter who died in 2018 in a car accident. And in terms of trying to understand and answer the unanswerable question of why, it is that premise that offers me comfort where her physical body is not in existence anymore, but the nature of her being is forever. Mm -hmm. And so I find that 
principle to be one I were to return to multiple times a day. (laughs) That's really beautiful. We have two topics we can touch on then this idea of grief and loss of a dear one. And and the, what your wisdom is about menopause with regard to whole health. What you talk about. I know this is (laughs) because there will be more episodes with Carrie. I promise you you (laughs) share the offerings or ways that do you take patients, virtual patients, or do they have to be in person with you and just ways that the listeners can connect with you if they're in need of what your practice provides or want to connect with you in deeper ways for your, with your wisdom. So I do take patients and I do offer telehealth, but I only care for women within the state of Maine. And so for women who don't live in Maine, who are looking for a practitioner who is functional medicine certified, I recommend they go to the Institute for Functional Medicine website, go to find a practitioner, type in their zip code, and they can find out who is in their community. I am online at carrielevine.cnm. I am on Instagram. I am on Facebook. And you can find me and or my book online. Books is available through all online major retailers. Although I really encourage people to go to their local bookstore and ask the local bookstore to purchase a few copies and sell so that we support our small little bookstores, which are so dear to me. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Uh, You also have a whole woman health community. Is that just in Maine or is this a virtual community that women can connect with? I mean, it's not like a membership group or anything like that. I would say people just message me through social media channels, Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, perfect. Uh, Thank you for this book. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the big ways that you serve women in your practice and in the community. And thank you for being here with me today. I just adore you, Carrie. And I feel sure that we have so much to talk about that this will be the first maybe of a few more episodes. I really appreciate you being here and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It means a lot to me that we have shared this moment of deep conversation. If you feel inspired or touched by something in this episode, please leave a comment and or a review. For more in all the ways, please find me at Whole Healed Holy on Instagram and at www.patricia-russo.com on the web. Stay close, please, and know that you are whole, you are healed, and you are holy. I love you. Until next time.